0: Hey guys, welcome to Queer Icons, where we cover and discuss an important figure to the LGBT community and give our thoughts on why they resonate with us in our communities. How are you doing this week,
1: Nico? I'm great. I am enjoying the sunshine today. Been going on walks in the park. (laughs) And... um, stocking up on my allergy medication because it's pollen season here <laughs> it is pollen season.
0: and it's always it always starts with like the big pollen you can see and then right after yes. that is when it gets into the pollen where it affects humans a little more so i'm a little nervous about that coming in the next few
1: weeks because mm-hmm, <laughs> you know every year is worse and worse so yeah. yay yeah. <laughs> nature's trying to kill us <laughs> right <laughs>
0: And how are you doing? <laughs> doing well really updates this week we my husband and I went on a date last weekend mm-hmm. so that's nice it was a little day date. We did a scavenger hunt thing around our I guess I could call it a town or city because we don't live directly in Atlanta. okay
1: but, so it was like organized like in the neighborhood or like town
0: yeah it was a little booklet. Okay. So, like,
1: you can buy this booklet, and then
0: you do this little scavenger hunt, and it kind of tells you information around the town. It didn't give as much information as I wanted, and some of the stops were kind of dumb. So, I will not buy another one. <laughs> Because they have several in the the Atlanta market. Got it. Got and I was it. just like, oh, I'm not real impressed with this, mm-hmm. so I probably will not be doing another one. No. But it was still a fun day. It was nice it's to cute. like just spend time with just him. Because we've been doing a lot
1: of like friend stuff lately. Mm-hmm. So no, it's it's gonna so cool. have like this like intimate <laughs> relationship building moments, right? For sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I had a good weekend too. I actually hang out with some friends. And friends of friends. Uh And it was a little family event. It was last Sunday. And so there were like children. And one of the kids was non binary. They went by they, them, and there were 12. And I was so happy to observe that. Right. No idea. Yeah. (laughs) It was like so exciting. Because I could see from the way they presented themselves, like they were not really gender conforming. Right. So you know, my my, I assumed as much, but then my friend brought me to the event to the party. She goes, I asked their mom. They go by they, them, and she was also very excited. And I was like, "Well, it's wonderful to see like such a young generation, right? To you see know. the future might be better for uh, right." It's like there's <laughs> it a silver lining, more accepting
0: of <laughs> other pronouns mm-hmm. other than he, her. Yes. Yeah, my niece or nephew, I can't remember which, had a, like, non-binary friend a few years ago. I don't know if they still do or not. I'm not around for their, like, friend
1: group friend hangouts groups, yeah. to,
0: like, know enough. But, yeah. yeah, I remember that, and it was very nice It's to see.
1: Yeah, it is good to see that, you know, they're they're able to, like, have the language, the understanding, and the support of their family, and friends to be able to express themselves that way. Exactly. So I like that. I like that a lot.
0: Yeah. So what do you have for
1: queer as fuck this week? I have an accused gay dog <laughs> <laughs> as my <queer>. not accused. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was in North Carolina. So he was dumped at a shelter. Because he humped another male dog, and his previous owners accused him of being a gay dog, and they didn't want him anymore. So, they were that homophobic.
0: That is ridiculous. Um, But it does Because I've never met, like, any male dog. I've seen female dogs, like, hump other dogs, so it's... it's kind of...
1: But it's also, like, a... Pack mentality. It and is, and it's a little bit of dominance it, behavior, exactly. like trying to show dominance. So, um, but it's also proof that they really didn't didn't know much about dogs or taking care of them, because, right? Um, the the dog had uh, heartworms, and he was like never groomed before. So, to add a happy conclusion to this story, he was adopted by a gay couple. Who are taking good care of him and are good people that remember. can appreciate his lifestyle, <laughs> his accused <laughs> lifestyle. <laughs> uh, and I did like it that they named him Oscar after like Oscar Wilde. Oh yes, yes, yes. Who eventually we will come. Oh, we definitely will. It's it's I love be, Oscar Wilde, so like that'll be, be a good three-hour-long episode. Hour long episode. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a three-part series. <laughs> but yeah, that was my queerest fuck. I read that story, and you know sometimes. Titles of like the news seem like random cards against humanity combinations. Yes. This was I was like, did I misread that? Like, what? what is happening? <laughs> so that was it. <laughs> what is uh, your
0: queer spot? <laughs> so mine is a little local to Atlanta. It's gonna seem negative, but I it's I'm really just kind of making fun of it. So around Atlanta, people have been doing. I'll call it street racing, although they're not really races. It's where they, like, spin out the cars. Yeah. And so, and it's causing, obviously, like, tire marks on the streets. And I remember one time they did it in the middle of, like, a fairly busy street, like, on a bridge above one of the interstates here. Yes. Yes. And that was crazy. news. Yeah. And then, so a few weeks ago, they did it at the intersection where the rainbow crosswalks are. And so, of course, they got some of the marks on the crosswalks. And there was, like, a little bit of an uproar about it or something. and then, But the city, the very next day, to their credit, the very next day, were out there cleaning and redoing the rainbow crosswalks. And didn't they put metal plates now? Well, so what happened is, like... The street racers, I guess, did not enjoy that their marks had been cleaned up. And so they went there, like, two weeks later and did it again. Mm. And so the city cleaned it again, like, again, the very next day. And this time they put metal plates down, which is Atlanta's answer to anything (laughs) (laughs) road-related. So Uh, at least hey, this time they'll forbid. (laughs) Right, it'll (laughs) yeah, it'll make it so. Hopefully, they can't do it. And it's also because funny, we I've seen videos of (laughs) the cars driving over the plates to like a beat, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Oh really? Oh, you need to send me those. (laughs) Just thunk thunk (laughs) thunk thunk. (laughs) So. I just thought that was a little humorous, but like, good on the city for Very good cleaning city, up yeah. and trying to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Guys, you can always email us at QueerIconsPodcast at gmail.com or reach us on Instagram at QueerIconsPodcast. That's our handle. Please send us any questions, comments, or critiques. We are really craving your feedback on our podcast, and we would love to hear ideas on what you think is going well or what can be improved. This week we are do have a lot of information. We are covering James Baldwin, and we're just going to go ahead and dive right on in.
1: Yeah. So when we chose for the list, I was really fascinated because it's one of the reasons that I love doing this podcast—not just like presenting these icons to to our listeners, but also educating myself. Right. I was aware of who he was, but it was still very much just like a, a trivia, almost like a trivia question. Okay, I know James Baldwin is a gay author involved in the civil rights movement, but like, that was about it. That was the extent of my knowledge.
0: Yeah, that's about like what I had as well. Yeah. As, as I knew, yeah, what he was related to, like what what uh, kind of a general grasp of what his books were about Mm-mm. and that he was uh, part of the homosexual community, so. yeah.
1: And so not having grown in the States, I didn't really experience a lot of the the subject matter that uh, he addresses. So what I did was actually I called up a friend of mine who was raised here, and he is a gay Black American and a fan of James Baldwin. (laughs) So he uh, introduced me, gave me the resources that I needed, information, a lot of videos, To really better understand him, how he delivered his speeches, what he was all about beyond just the encyclopedic information and just reading the biography. Mm -hmm. So, yes, shout out to my friend Aramis. He is incredible. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Now, let's really dive right into his biography. So, he was born James Arthur Baldwin on August 2nd, 1924 in Harlem, New York City. Now, he was born out of wedlock, and his mother, Emma Burtis Jones, was never open with who his biological father was, So, and raised him as a single mother until he was three, where she got remarried to David Baldwin in 1927, who was a Baptist preacher and laborer. Now, his mom had fled Maryland, where she was born during the Great Migration to avoid racial segregation uh, in the South. So we already see, even before Baldwin was born, how integral racial segregation was. Right, or and was racial going issues to be yeah. in, in his life, as with so many other Black Americans of the time. So David Baldwin, who was became his stepfather, and James really had a rough relationship. David didn't really approve of James focusing on books, movies, or even having white friends. And yet, James did follow his stepfather's footsteps to become a youth minister in a Harlem Pentecostal church in his teens. He did have an affinity to writing from a young age, and also worked on his school's magazine with future famous photographer Richard Avedon.
0: Yeah, and I know, like, at the time, during his time as a youth minister, is where he kind of honed his speaking style and learned how to
1: command an audience. Mm -hmm. So, he's absolutely captivating. Oh, yes. I loved, I was in the debate team in school. So, I was just fascinated watching him debate people on the videos and just his cadence, his eloquence, just. Masterful. Right. Just so, so beautiful. After he graduated high school in 1942, he had to halt his plans for college so he could help support his family, which included seven younger children. He accepted various jobs, including laying railroad tracks for the U.S. Army in New Jersey. And sadly, he did face discrimination during this time, being turned away from restaurants and bars and after getting fired from the railroad job, he really struggled to make ends meet. And It was about that time that he decided to move to Greenwich Village, which, as we all know, is an area full of writers and artists, and he focused on writing a novel. Now, he was friends with a writer, Richard Wright, who helped him get a fellowship in 1945 to cover his expenses, and at that time, he was able to publish essays and short stories, in the nation, partisan review, and commentary. In 1948, he decided to move to Paris on another fellowship. This change of surroundings enabled him to write more freely about his personal subjects and his racial background. As he said, once I found myself on the other side of the ocean, I see where I came from very clearly. I am the grandson of a slave, and I am a writer. I must deal with both. Paris also helped him escape the hopelessness that a lot of young black men suffered from in America and explore his sexuality further. He stayed there for nine years with frequent travels to Spain, Switzerland, and back and forth in America. And even though he was poor and life was hard in France, he did socialize with other people of the arts and letters and enjoyed being in a seat and finding love in the Swiss Lucien Habsburgers, who remained his lifelong friend, and even Baldwin—I think he became the godfather of his firstborn. Right. Later on in life, so we really see that he really established so, these a bond. long friendship. Yes. Yeah, and
0: during this time in Paris, uh, like you said, he was poor, and he ended up having a run-in like with the court system. He did. Uh, due to uh, like a small thing of of sheets from a hotel. It was was
1: stolen bed sheets from a hotel.
0: And he, he did say of that experience, when he got into court, they treated him as an American... With the rather kind of the, the less racial, his skin. yeah, rather than yeah. the color of his skin, where he said, as in America, he would have immediately been seen as a criminal element. Yes. Uh, the court just kind of laughed it off and and suspended the charges. So
1: yeah, because it wasn't even him stealing the sheets; it was one of his
0: friends. Yeah, he re- he received them. Yes. <laughs> yeah, probably not even knowing that they were
1: stolen. But yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I do remember that that story. Now, he did have uh, his first novel, Go Tell It on the Mountain, published in 1953. The loosely autobiographical tale was uh, really focusing on the life of a young man growing up in Harlem, who was really grappling with father issues and his religion. In his words, he felt he had to write this book to deal with the hurt of his father. And we really saw earlier that they really did not get along. They didn't see eye to eye. But also during that year he started socializing with other black American expatriates, including Maya Angelou, who has called him a friend and brother. And we really see him establishing with the truly the renowned elite of arts, letters, and becoming one of them as he was also evolving. Yeah, being in that community. In 1954, Baldwin received a Guggenheim Fellowship. He published his next novel, Giovanni's Room, the following year. The work told the story of an American living in Paris and his feelings and relationships with other men, including an Italian bartender. There's always an Italian bartender. (laughs) 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 It, It did bring a representation of bisexuality and homosexuality with a lot of empathy and really allowed an open discussion on sexuality, masculinity, identity, and LGBTQ spaces, which we frequently emphasize, even in current times, that they do function as safe spaces, safe havens for our community. Definitely. And to this day.
0: Yeah, and it's so interesting, because we're talking about him writing this in 1954, Mm -hmm. and a lot of his work included homosexuality of some sort in it, and this is long before... The, the gay rights movement mm-hmm. got a kickstart, you know, before it was very mainstream, True. at least. There was definitely work behind the scenes going on, but
1: that's very early mm-hmm. for a work like that to be happening. Yes. Now, sadly, in 1956, he had a failed relationship, and he became so distraught, he attempted suicide with an overdose of pills. Thankfully, he immediately regretted it and called a friend who helped him regurgitate the pills. So, we do see that emotionally tortured artist. Right. Quite. He published a couple more books exploring sexuality, such as Just Above My Head in 78, and Another Country in 62, which also focused on interracial relationships. And I'm really loving all the subject matter he's been tackling, and those particular decades so he was very i think he was really capturing the zeitgeist right and had like fairly
0: mainstream success with it Mm -hmm. it wasn't you know under the radar for most of it quite so a lot of like being accepted for it
1: yeah and because also you know, and, and especially for someone who was very open about his homosexuality. And he did have relationship with both men and women, but truly he believed that human sexuality is more fluid and less binary. As he said in a 1969 interview when he was asked if being gay was an aberration, he said, if you fall in love with a boy, you fall in love with a boy. And it was as simple as that he did introduce later on in 1955 a play first produced at Howard University and then it even went on on Broadway called The Amen Corner which concentrated on pentecostal religion so we do see again those themes are coming back throughout his life right and the influences mm-hmm. now his i says notes of a native son in 55 and nobody knows my name more notes of a native son in 61 allowed him to become a leading voice in the civil rights movement as they focus on the black experience in America and race. In 1963, with fire next time, he wanted to educate white Americans on really what it meant to be black. He presented a realistic yet harsh image of race relations while also hopeful about improvements that were a possibility. Now, having all this recent success with his work, he became the cover of Time magazine that year, and Baldwin became a known spokesperson for civil rights and a celebrity for championing the cause of black Americans. Now, he was frequently appearing on television, and he delivered speeches on college campuses. At the end of our segment, I'm going to recommend some videos you all can watch online, his de- debates are fascinating and so educational. He has been criticized by Black nationalists, whether his message of love and understanding would do much to change the race relations in America. They definitely wanted a more assertive tone, for a lack of a better word. Definitely. I know that...
0: So the name, like Notes of a Native Son, came from a movie called Native Son, where he felt that the the it did not accurately portray the black experience mm-hmm. which so this is kind of in response to that and i know that he was criticized by many different groups throughout the time so cuz he was criticized by kind of like the Black Panthers for not being like violent enough almost. And then he was criticized by kind of the Martin Luther King movement because he wanted too much direct
1: confrontation or like more action than what they wanted. Because there were definitely uh, so many different approaches to such a tremendous and serious topic that, you know, one can take. I do love one of his quotes that I think will be pertinent at this point where he said, It is certain, in any case, that ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy justice can have. And this, just like many other quotes, resonates so much today as well. I really became very emotional <laughs> <with> <laughs> yeah. watching him speak and de- deliver the, these messages all these decades ago, and they are just as important and pertinent to today's age as it were back then.
0: Yes, they are. It was, it was very interesting, like watching things and reading articles this week, that there have been improvements, but so much of it is still so relevant. It is still applicable. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes. So much. Now, in 1963, Baldwin met with Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy and discussed the race crisis. And even though the meeting did not meet the expectations of the attendees, it did expose the civil rights issue as a moral one, not just a political one, which I did find quite important. He also made a prominent appearance at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom on August 28, 1963. With Harry Belafonte and his friend Sidney Poitier and Marlon Brando, yeah. During that meeting with
0: Robert Kennedy, <laughs> yes, I saw a couple places where he like talked about that, mm-hmm. and that it very, it very much came off as uh, Robert Kennedy was really just looking for a black person to be the face of like. Stick with the government. We're making improvements, basically. Yes. And that, and that, when that really,
1: really was not. Yeah.
0: Where, yeah, they were trying to say, no, this is more than just like systemic racism isn't just the laws that are involved, but there are other, other aspects and we need to discuss that. That needs to be. And Robert Kennedy was just not getting it. And then he did say one time, and and one of the interviews I saw, he said, "This man who had just gotten to this community was basically basically telling them, uh, like, said, basically, just be good, and we can have an African American president in forty years." You know, oh, just yes. I, that, that and quote. I just thought that was so just like what? That quote. <laughs> no, I, I, like what's weird is it was actually pretty accurate. Barack Obama got elected around 40 years no, later. No, it was longer than 40 years. Yeah, it was like 63 and he was he was 08, so it was like 45 years, but yeah.
1: Oh, okay. I thought it was closer to 50, but math is not my really strong Yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, but still, like... It's... <laughs> yeah, no, no I, I get it, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, unfortunately, Baldwin's sexuality did clash with his activism, The civil rights movement was hostile to homosexuals, which is something that I wasn't aware of. The only out gay men in the movement were James Baldwin and Baynard Rustin. Martin Luther King treated homosexuality as a mental illness, which an individual could overcome. And King's key advisor, Stanley Levison, also stated that Baldwin and Rustin were better qualified to lead a homosexual movement than a civil rights movement. The pressure later resulted in King distancing himself from both men. And despite his enormous efforts within the movement due to his sexuality, Baldwin was excluded from the inner circles of the civil rights movement and was conspicuously uninvited to speak at the end of the march on Washington. That was a very interesting information that I read, I had no idea.
0: Yeah, that is very weird, because the external viewpoint, Mm -hmm. he was kind of a figurehead of the,
1: like, civil rights movement, so it's interesting that, like, they rejected him. Yeah, I mean, because he was so prominent, he had all these appearances on television, which really enter your home. Right, and his books were, like, spoke to the experience so well. Absolutely. And he had, and he was extremely charismatic. So definitely, I think that's why he was more influential than they would have given him credit for. Yeah. really. Or they gave him credit for. He himself, though, rejected the label civil rights activist, or that he had participated in a civil rights movement, instead agreeing with Malcolm X's assertion that if one is a citizen, one should not have to fight for one's civil rights. So very good concept there. The next year, in 64, he collaborated with his childhood friend, Richard Avedon, to create the book, Nothing Personal, about the slain civil rights movement leader and his friend, Medgar Evers. And in the following years, James had witnessed tremendous violence surrounding race, including the assassinations of his personal friends, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. So his tone in his writing changed. There was like a shift in his work. As he was becoming more and more disillusioned about the racial issue, which is, I mean, who can blame him? It is truly disheartening.
0: What's What's interesting, like with this in particular, uh, kind of time frame, and him becoming very much more. Disillusioned about the racial issue is. I also watched a Nina Simone documentary mm-hmm. recently, and it's very similar. Like, and in, in her later works, she became very much more agitated on the racial issue, and I mean, for similar reasons. Yeah. So, like that. I mean, parallel it, there. That experience is it, definitely more profound
1: than than we will ever know. Yeah. So you you see like you know by essentially slaughtering the the figureheads of the movement, how how much it can like affect you. Right and yes, is the the videos and documentaries that I watch about this, you really do see the shift yeah. in him. Um now during the nineteen eighties he taught at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and Hampshire College. His writing and interviews at the time addressed also homosexuality and homophobia. He also advocated for gender equality and androgyny. So we do see during like the AIDS epidemic how there was a shift in the subject matter, not just about racial relations, but also about gender and sexuality relations and how they were treated. Mm-hmm. In 1986. He was made a commander of the Honour of Legion by the French government, so we do see that he was recognized across the Atlantic as well, and especially since he spent most of his later life in France. And he unfortunately died from stomach cancer on December 1st, 1987 at his home in St. Paul de Vence in the south of France, which I did look up that village. So picturesque, so beautiful. It's right on the French Riviera. And apparently he really welcomed his nephews and nieces over, his friends. So he was like really hosting them and just en- enjoying the later part of his life. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, beyond just playing host in the beautiful south of France, he was still working. And he did have an unfinished memoir called Remember This House. Which had his recollections on the civil rights leaders, and it was used as a basis for the 2016 documentary, I Am Not Your Negro by Raul Peck. Which was. We both watched it. Amazing, that, yeah. And it was incredible. I highly recommend finding it. It is available on multiple platforms for streaming. Just just incredible. Yes. Incredible. Just uh, work. And you can. You, ha- you get so much of his writing, also footage of him and everything really associated with the civil rights movement and also Hollywood and the influence and how black Americans were represented were
0: represented how that influenced him yeah mm-hmm. that's where that's that's where I came to really realize like how much of, of of an influence on his work and like what drive it gave him to show a more realistic, expression of that.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, in uh, 2012, Baldwin was inducted into the Legacy Walk, an outdoor public display that celebrates LGBT history and people. Two years after that, he was one of the inaugural honorees in the Rainbow Honor Walk, which was a walk of fame in San Francisco's Castro neighborhood. And in 2019, to celebrate a world pride, and 50 years after Stonewall, he was one of the inaugural 50 American pioneers, trailblazers, and heroes inducted in the National LGBTQ Walk of Honor within the Stonewall National Monument in New York City, Stonewall Inn. But it's, again, we do see how France really remembers him and just last year, in 2021, Perry City Hall announced that the writer would give his name to the very first media library in the 19th District, which is scheduled to open next year, in 2023. And nice. we see that he's not forgotten. He's, and I think as the years progress, um, we get to remember and honor these queer icons more and more. As the information is really spreading now, I highly recommend everyone to watch Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin: A Conversation, a 1971 video, very poignant. Also, a conversation with a Native son, and it is his talk with Maya Angelou, his debate with William F. Buckley in 1965. As well as the one with Paul Weiss on the Dick Cavett Show in 1969. Right. So
0: I've watched a little bit of the the Nikki Giovanni and the Maya Angelou mm-hmm. interviews. They were they were really more kind of discussions instead of it being yeah, interviews. Like conversations. Yeah. yeah, conversations. And both of them really pressed him on the kind of feminism or mm-hmm. or the lack of feminism in his his work that that females also have. So, it's kind of interesting that like he gets pressed from other sides, even other while sides, being yeah. like such a, a icon for a, the civil rights movement, but also just the kind of, I mean, they didn't use those terms back then, but the toxic masculinity of certain issues. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting.
1: And, I mean, we do see culturally how huge toxic masculinity is in America and especially coming from very conservative and religious uh backgrounds, so of course it would be prominent in his work right and logically to me, that really does make sense <laughs> now, what was your uh favorite thing that you learned about james Baldwin? so
0: he's a person that when I was coming up as a gay man i I was just in the bar scene a lot, and mm-hmm. so the icons I would hear about or be exposed to the most were all kind of pop idols, you know, pop icons, mainly musical artists. And so just finding out about somebody, like, as I've gotten older, finding out about these other, like, queer icons Mm -hmm. that have an impact on our lives more than, like, we even know has been really fun. But, like, one of the one of my favorite things kind of learning him is like the way he incorporated the influences of both Malcolm X and Martin Martin Luther Luther King King Jr. Mm -hmm. And how that is like represented in his works
1: and, and just the actions he took. No, that's uh, the thing that really struck me the most was that he was sexually fluid. He didn't want to be identified as just gay. Was reading an interview at the Advocate that he he mentioned it that you know the only word he had was homosexual, but that didn't really cover everything that he was feeling. Right, and and I like that because he was speaking about fluidity very early on. Again, so once once again we see these icons like being pioneers and discovering the appropriate language to define things that we now as a community even within our community you know I've had conversations and people are like getting tired because like oh my god we have way too many words it's a whole (laughs) alphabet mafia which it's (laughs) it's the entire alphabet just like remixed. (laughs) But, but I'm like well People do need these identifiers. They, they do need this language to be able to discern how they're feeling and how they're identifying, how their sexuality is, and all these things, and you, you have to respect that. Right. For sure.
0: Which is, I mean, like, even us, when we were creating the podcast, we're discussing kind of the terminology we should use for our title. Yes. Because we didn't feel like gay icons covered what... We wanted to cover no it' only we wanted like more, the surface, yes, of... we wanted a more inclusive, so we came up with queer, and even though that probably doesn't Include get everyone. everything, <laughs> it was like much more inclusive than just using the term gay,
1: so mm-hmm. it's conversations we have <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure, and you know, and in in the end uh, of the day i I do think that even though he is mostly remembered as a leading literacy voice in the civil rights movement, he evolved to also become an inspirational figure for the emerging gay rights movement and the LGBT community. Now, I do see more and more people recognizing his name at least now rather than 10 years ago when I was in college where no one really talked about it. And it's kind of what you said. It is easier to have a queer icon that is an actor or a singer, they are easier to discover because they're kind of thrown at you. No one would rarely like, rarely would anyone just throw a book at you. It's like read this.
0: <laughs> Can I walk down the street and do that
1: now? Just read this. Read this. Yes. they will be like, uh oh, let, let me play you like, you know, some some Britney. Or you know, and yeah, and like when it's, you're, it's far like more easily accessible, and right, you know.
0: yeah. And when you're at the clubs, it's all music and everything. Yeah. Like book clubs are small,
1: and mm-hmm. most people don't tend them. So yes, and and we did cover the the significance of book clubs on the Armistead Maupin episode too. Right, what an influence that was, at least for our generation. <laughs> it is.
0: And, well, I'm not even many bad less. about it. <laughs> I tried to have a book club one time, and I just, like... I'm a slow reader. I could not keep up with
1: a book a month, basically. I do the audiobooks. I don't like it. I feel like that's cheating. I used to feel that it's cheating, <laughs> and... Now, granted, I've never listened to an audiobook, personally. Because I i do love reading like, yeah. the actual pages. But it it has helped so many of my friends that don't enjoy actual reading or they're dyslexic or whatever you know it does help
0: get people at least exposed to yeah, so to some of these authors I no longer really consider it cheating i was like well, i don't least... like i don't consider it cheating for other people for some for whatever reason i feel like so i'm not i'm not dissing anybody who like listens to mm-hmm. audible and stuff but i don't know it's something about it that i don't like for myself and and that's it but part of the reason i do reading is is to catch vocabulary words mm-hmm. and so i've been trying to focus more on reading because yes. of that i feel oh. like my vocabulary has declined
1: in the past few years what was it last two weeks ago you <laughs> send me this word i forget what word it was but you're like is that even, is that a real word and you did and i was like yeah it means this and this <laughs> well it was jape and yes, that's i said si- i
0: said that and i was like do you guys know what this means and you like came back within a minute and i assume mm-hmm. you didn't look it up oh you no talk I... with me sometimes so <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no no i knew what a jape was
0: <laughs> and so uh, yeah it was on a crossword i was oh, doing was. and okay, okay. i had no clue i had never heard or at least i had <laughs> never recognized hearing that word in my life and so <laughs> i had to look it up because it, the crossword puzzle was just like a one or two word, like, mm-hmm. hint. And so I had to look it up and really... <laughs> and I was like, what? Does anybody ever use this word? And you're like, yes! <laughs> I, I think I, I use it. <laughs> and then what's funny is I have heard it since then, but I've only heard it... The What I heard it in was actually the Graham Norton show, which is a British mm-hmm. series.
1: Oh, um, I, And so I think it gets used more. Yes. In the... I think I do have an advantage being raised abroad. Because also I did have a lot a lot of English teachers that they were from different parts of the world, and they would use a lot of English words that are you know more British or more American or South African or you know all right. these different. So I think I did have like that advantage for sure. Definitely They're more like worldly vocabulary (laughs) (laughs) we have been covering people
0: of previous generations for the past few weeks of the 50s 60s and 70s so i feel like it's been a little harder to get buy-in from our younger folks but we are covering a multi-talented artist from the 90s and 2000s next week so don't forget to join us for that fun episode of a more recent queer icon